Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to episode six of the Brutally Honest Sports Podcast. My name is Dan Kurtz, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, the man, the myth, and always a legend, Aaron Riley. Aaron, first of all, hope you're doing well. It's great to talk to you today. Uh, off the hop here, the question has to be asked. I uh, have to ask it early on here. Are you jealous that I was on another podcast this afternoon? Uh, jealous and envious and frustrated all in one. Uh, but my hat's off to you. I wouldn't want to see anybody else do it. But uh, I'm, I'm sitting here a little bit mad, a little bit jealous at the, at the moment. Hey, you have, you have nothing to worry about, my friend. I won't be taking my talents elsewhere. Um, always loyal to you, bro, to these listeners and to the brutally honest sports brand. Never forget where you came from, I always like to say. But just a little background for the listeners. Uh, if the listeners recall, I spoke last week about potentially making an appearance on a New York Jets fan podcast and ultimately came to fruition this afternoon. I was fortunate enough to make a guest appearance on the Let's Talk Jets show uh, with a guy by the name of Tyson Rausch. The show is basically doing a fan series right now where they're dropping inter- interviews. And I sent them a DM uh, requesting to have the opportunity to show off my Jets fandom skills, if you will. So we're hopefully uh, going to be able to play a few clips here, but it was a good time, man. Um, I was asked how I became a Jets fan, my thoughts on the state of the team, but we'll play this clip where I answer the question about what it's like to be a Jets fan. And then um, the listeners will also hear me promoting our pod a little bit. So without further ado, uh, let's talk Jets. Okay. And then my favorite question is, if somebody said, what is life as a Jets fan? How would you describe it? Oh man, what is is life like as as you know, as a fan of this wonderful organization? I think you know they certainly test your loyalty. Uh, I think it's it's oftentimes a humbling experience, and I think personally being a Jets fan has has taught me to think differently in a way, like not just about football but about life. You know, I think I, I try to stay even keeled, never get too high, never get too low. And you know, how many times have the Jets won a, won a big game and then followed up the next week with an absolute dumpster fire of an effort. I think the Patriots Cowboys back to back last year comes to mind. And, you know, I've, I've learned to take pride in, in a Jets fan. And I always hate when fans jump ship um, when things aren't going well for a particular stretch of, of their team. But I guess to sum it all up, it's crazy to be a Jets fan. It's a wild ride. And I wouldn't want to, to ask for anything else. So Dan, before I let you go, man, what is the best way for everybody to follow you and talk some Jets football? Absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Curtsy14. That's at K-U-R-T-Z-1-4. I'm sorry, K-U-R-T-Z-Y-1-4. You got to get the Y in there. And then 
a buddy of mine actually, uh, a buddy of mine and I just started a, a sports podcast. It's called Brutally Honest Sports. We made the smart business decision of starting a podcast um, in the face of a pandemic, a sports podcast when there is no sports. So basically a buddy of mine tried to riff about sports. Uh, he's, he's a Philly fan, so he gets some New York Philly takes in there. And um, after you're done listening to this show each week, uh, you can find us on Spotify and iTunes. But that's where the listeners can reach me. Awesome. Dan, man, thank you so much for your time. This was awesome, dude. And we'll hopefully do this again soon. So that was my appearance again on the Let's Talk Jets show with Tyson Roush. Thanks to Tyson. Um, I, I enjoyed it personally. It's always good to nerd out about the Jets. And anytime I can talk New York Jets football, I'm going to take that opportunity 10 out of 10 times. But um, what did you think of, of my appearance there, Aaron? Dude, it's spectacular. Um, I think uh, – as far as being a Jets fan, you're, you're definitely up there in the Hall of Fame category as far as loyalty and, uh, you know, die, being just a diehard fan. Uh, so I think you knocked it out of the park, and uh, I, I think everyone on, on that show believes in that. And hopefully uh, maybe maybe we can get them on our show and, and maybe go back and forth on some Jets and, and, and some things like that. I, I think it was a great, great appearance, man, and uh, I'm, I'm happy for you. If we have to get if we get Tyson on the show, we'll have to get a Wentz versus Darnold uh, debate stirring, and I'll let the two of you go at it. And that might be a SmackDown. But uh, and now for today's topics. Speaking of SmackDowns, and that's definitely enough about me. Um, in what is shaping up to be the absolute SmackDown of the century, uh, Major League Baseball owners versus the Major League Baseball players. For those unaware of the absolute turmoil that is surrounding the MLB, the owners submitted a 2020 season financial proposal. Uh, that almost devastatingly backfired immediately throughout the league and in the media. Basically, the MLB is has been waiting um, to get this plan approved before they really um, get the season rolling. That's why you've seen a lot of NHL plans, a lot of NBA plans uh, come out before this MLB plan. So hopefully they can get a deal done here. But essentially, this long-awaited and anticipated plan from the owners included massive pay cuts across the board. And the highest paid guys in the league are most affected. So before I go on, uh, the listeners might be thinking to themselves, hey, Dan, hey, Aaron, professional athletes already make too much money. What the hell is going on here? You should be more sympathetic to the league and to the fans who want to see the sport back. I hear you guys. I definitely hear you guys. But this shit just doesn't make sense to me. The players had already agreed to a pay cut. They had already agreed to a prorated salary for the projected 82-game season. Uh, the owners just cannot fucking help themselves. So put this new plan into perspective, Mike Trout, the best player on the planet, Mike Trout, who would already be making $19 million in a prorated salary, which is down from his original $37 million. Under this proposed set of cuts, he would be due to make $5.7 million. In what world does that make sense, folks? I, I'm with you. Uh, as far as that goes, um, yeah, they're getting paid a, a boatload of money. Um, but when you look at it in, in reference to what they're making, the organizations, it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. And in, and in that respect, yeah, that, that's a huge pay cut. And if you're saying he's going to he's gonna play all 82 games, let's say, and so that's that's 50% of the season, and then he's going to make, you know, maybe a sixth of what he usually makes, that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, I'd be upset if I was Mike Trout as well. Uh, I just think that's kind of like an insult, and, and that's just counterproductive to, to my career. And in addition to that, you know, what the chance of, of injury, I've, I would say, is 50% because you're playing 50% of the, the game. So, right. um, you know, if, if you're going to sign a massive contract and then you're only going to see maybe 6% of that or, or something along those lines, that's it's absolute horseshit. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that I don't think that's right by any means or and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 
Arguably, Mike Trout can make more money filming a Subway commercial than he could playing in the Major League Baseball season. Uh, to put this into context further, the owner of the Los Angeles Angels, the team Mike Trout plays for, is worth $3.4 billion. That is insanity, folks. That is sick and twisted. And if that wasn't enough to convince you guys, uh, the Oakland A's, shout out to the movie Moneyball, fantastic movie, great flick. But to further expose how cheap the Oakland A's are, they are no longer paying their minor leaguers their $400 weekly stipends. So that means these players are considered to be unpaid employees, meaning they cannot be available for free agency and cannot file for unemployment. Um, So that's pretty fucked. They're basically unpaid interns right now. By the way, Oakland saves $1 to $1.2 million by not paying these guys their weekly stipends. Yeah, absolutely. Heartless. I mean, I... I wouldn't imagine of all organizations I could see the Oakland A's doing something like that. I don't know too, too much about their, their current day organization, but obviously you would go back to the money ball days and things like that. Yeah. They, they kind of made the system work in their favor as far as uh, picking up a lot of players for, for not a whole lot of money, but uh, yeah, to do that to, to guys that already don't make a whole ton of money uh, in the minor leagues and, and guys that are busting their ass, you know, most of them to, to get up to that next level and, and, to really cut the balls off from underneath of them. And that's, that's heartless, man. I mean, if you can't even file unemployment, basically you're, you're going to be out there looking for a normal nine to five at that point, or, uh, right. you know, hoping and praying that, you know, maybe you can sign in a different baseball league in, in some right. part of the country. So I'm not, not a big Oakland, Oakland A's fan right now. Unfortunately, that, that's, that's a horrible move and that that's heartless and gutless. I don't plan to know about filing for unemployment in the state of California or any state for that matter. I'd have to think that they can make close to, if not, you know, more than a $400 stipend on unemployment rather than um, getting their, you know, minor league stipend. But, you know, there's always going to be people out there who blame the players or ones who say, you know, just shut up and swing a bat. But trust me, the owners look like shit in all this. And it seems there's more and more thievery um, that gets leaked by the, I mean, it's ridiculous. The players agree to one plan and MLB keeps changing it on them. They agreed to the prorated salary. They agreed to the 82-game season. They agreed to the 50% pay cut. But I just can't stand the fucking greediness. Stop trying to make these players play for free and figure the fuck out. Hey, watch your language, buddy. But, uh, no, nah, all, all it's, jokes It's, it's aside, a kid show. It's a kid show. <laughs> yeah, like we got we to gotta rein it back in for all, the, for all the youngsters out there listening. But, hey, no. no all, all jokes aside, uh, yeah. I, I don't understand why, why there's so many adjustments and, and why that needs to occur. Uh, you know, under that initial agreement where, where the pay cut the pay cut took place and then the prorated salary took effect, I don't, I don't see why that was an issue. Uh, as they say, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. So I think they're just trying to, to boost their, their pockets, uh, you know, even further and, and, you know, doing it in a very selfish way. And unfortunately, that, that looks like the way they're, they're trying to go about it. Now, I don't know. Realistically, the players could argue this, and it's going to go back and forth and probably to a negotiating table where right. uh, they'll, they'll meet somewhere in the middle. But for players like Mike Trout and, and Bryce Harper comes to mind just because of the massive contract he recently received. So they're, yep. they're not going to be happy campers if they're making a quarter of what they anticipated to make uh, this upcoming, you know, obviously corona-affected shortened season. I, I do apologize. It's a kid show. It's a family show. I know we might have some young listeners. Um, the blood got boiling a little bit, I, I got to say, but I, I am a player's guy. This is a player's podcast. But thank you, Aaron, for reining me back in. Uh, the, the players are allegedly trying to release a counterplan of their own by the end of the week. 
Um, and for all we know, by the time this show gets released, they could have already made their plans public. But um, I expect it to be quite drastic, to say the least. Um, I think that's enough MLB talk. But speaking of another organization that typically fucks over their players, let's move on to the NCAA. Uh, the NCAA <laughs> announced a few weeks back uh, they are laying the foundation that allows student athletes to profit off their name image and likeness. Uh, essentially, this means that um, college athletes are going to get paid. I think this is a no-brainer of the century and frankly should have happened decades ago. I think it ends the discussion uh, to the age-old debate, should college athletes get paid? And did you think this was ultimately inevitable? I did. I, I think the players had too much leverage. You know, there's so many examples of this, whether it be Johnny Manziel, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Vince Young, it, I, you can literally name any college athlete that's had tremendous success. And Jameis and his crab legs. Maybe got some crab legs for free instead of having to steal them. Some crab legs. You know, if you went to Louisville to play basketball, you were definitely getting some hookers, some strippers, some some ladies not wearing many clothes. Uh, hey, you know, speaking, of Louis, speaking of Louisville, shout out Brandon Beversluis. There you go, boy. There's a shout out. Rare opportunity, rare opportunity to get a shout out on this show and uh, feel blessed. Uh, but but anyways, that's besides besides the point. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, definitely inevitable. Um, I I've kind of gone back and forth on this topic in, in mentally, but I kind of look at it like this way. A lot of these uh, Cam Newtons comes to mind. I think a lot of these athletes kind of take it for granted as far as the free ride to school. So uh, for example, like Cam Newton got caught uh, basically taking taking pictures of tests, cheating on tests, not really, not really putting forth much effort whatsoever. And it, Scam and if, ever, if anybody uh, wants to go back and watch a Cam Newton interview, especially in college, I mean, guy was dumber than a box of rocks, but you know, skilled athlete. But uh, to me, I, I think these kids need to at least take somewhat uh, the education part of it seriously, only because they are getting a free ride. And, and I think a lot of kids, that, that academically, you know, could have gotten a free ride that didn't uh, for, for which, you know, for a reason we don't know, but uh, get that opportunity. I, I think those athletes need to take that seriously is all I'm trying to say. So I, I definitely think they can profit uh, from their name and from their image and, and what have you. But at the same time, I don't think, you know, they're actually, they're getting the short end of the stick as far as being able to go to one of these, uh, you know, name brand universities for a free ride and, and obviously, they're they're living it up in college. If if you're on a on a football team that's you I know hope so. in, a, in a big town in a, in a big landscape. So at, at this at the same time, yeah, I think they should get some type of compensation. But yep. I don't want these guys being millionaires in college and getting a free ride. You know, I think there needs to be a line drawn somewhere because they you know you still got to earn your way to the NFL, and, and these guys shouldn't be millionaires in college. But that that's my take on all that. I would. I guess I can see your point, and I, I would counter with, you know, what what if a guy like, I mean, not, obviously Todd Gurley has played and done pretty well in the NFL, but the guy had two ACL surgeries, I think, when he was in college. What if a guy like that has a great freshman year, has a great sophomore year, is ultimately profiting off his likeness, he's in a video game, he's got to deal with Verizon, he's got all these different sponsorship deals, and I don't claim to know how exactly this whole image and likeness thing is going to play out ultimately, but what if a guy like that who gets hurt his junior year, his senior year, right when he's draft eligible, eligible and, is, and doesn't get drafted because of an injury? Uh, do, do you think a guy like that should be able to profit and make as much money as possible or no? Uh, yeah, yes and no. So uh, I definitely agree with you. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe his draft status falls, you know, his draft stock falls tremendously uh, because of an injury like that. So he blows out his knee senior year halfway through. Uh, initially was going to be a top 10 pick and then falls maybe to the, 
you know, the 30th pick or, or right outside of the first round. Uh, obviously, his rookie contract's going to be far, you know, significantly less than than the top 10 pick or a top five pick. But uh, at the at the end of the day, you know, I, I think they, they should get a percentage. That's how I look at it. So let's say he signs a, a, an autographed picture. The picture's uh, $1,000. It sells for $1,000. Maybe he gets uh, 250 of that. And then, and then the university retains the rest. That's, a, a, you know, obviously it would have to be set up in a way that that's kind of fair to everybody. And that, and that once again, we go to a negotiation similar to what the, the MLB is doing right, right now. But, right. but uh, I, I don't, I'm just kind of caught in the middle. Cause I don't, like I said, I don't think these guys should be absolutely like just piling money up to the ceiling with, with this sure. shit. So, so I, you know, at the same time, um, they, they should be able to profit in some aspects. Don't get me wrong. These universities are robbing them blind and, and absolutely just bending them over as far as the making the money off of them for years. And then, and then even afterwards, you know, you, you start thinking about, uh, you know, notable players in college, you know, how many, how many MJ Michael Jordan jerseys you sold for UNC years after he, uh, you know, left the, left the college and, and just a few. Yeah, exactly. He probably didn't see too much, too much of that. So um, yeah, I, I, it's inevitable to, to make a long story short. It's, it's inevitable uh, that, that at some point they were going to get a deal done uh, and, and these players weren't going to continue to be robbed forever. I just, I think they need to do it in a way that, that's kind of fair to both, inst- you know, the, the, the institution and then also the individual as well. Do you think this ultimately plays a factor in recruiting? And, and what I mean by that is there'll be programs that are ahead of the curve on this. A program like Temple, you know, put players' Twitter handles on their back of their jerseys for the spring game last year. Georgia Tech has already signed on with a creative agency that is now beginning to develop online courses that teach their athletes how to build a personal brand. Uh, I think the schools who get this right and do everything they can to support their athletes will for sure have a leg up. And I'm glad that the players finally have a leg to stand on. But, you know, let's say like an Alabama is able to market their players better than a Clemson. Do you think that ultimately plays a factor uh, when it comes to the recruiting table? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of these players are, are going to, you know, hire agents and, and things like that as far as at a younger age now. So they'll kind of have an idea going into to these schools where, where, you know, maybe I individually a player thinks oh, I want to go to TCU and then, and then the, the agent or, or the advisor for the, the representative for this player kind of steers them to, to maybe a Clemson. So, so maybe they wanted to go to a smaller school, but then they, they start to evaluate, you know, financially, how can I benefit from this situation? And, and obviously if you're, if you're on a team that that's on TV every Saturday and, and college game day makes an appearance once, once every season, the financial benefit of that is going to be far greater than going to, you know, let's say a smaller school, a division two, like a university of Delaware size school, that, that type of thing. So, yeah, de- definitely. I think that'll change the landscape. I, I'm kind of fearful that these these uh, smaller schools might get obliterated by, um, you know, let's say the Clemsons, the Alabamas, the, you know, just bigger schools, Notre Dame, that type of thing. Because uh, how are they going to compete with, you know, the, the numbers that these other schools are doing as far as TV deals and uh, contracts and, and things like that. So uh, that's just my take on that. I hear you. I hear you on the small programs. Um, I, I do think, though, a program like West Virginia, they're the only power five school in a state that does not have professional sports. 
So do you think athletes at a school like that have a leg up on the kids that play in Florida, for example, where the market is already quite saturated, where they have pro sports teams, they have other major college teams to compete with in a marketplace like that. Do you think a school like, you know, Delaware or a school like a West Virginia, uh, those athletes might have a leg up and that school might have a leg up in recruiting um, where they can basically position themselves as the best team or the highest, you know, marketed team in that respective market. Yeah. So uh, that's interesting. I, I kind of, I might fall right in between as far as uh, agreeing with that point, but I can also counter you with, uh, let's just say Tim Tebow went to, to West Virginia, for example, compared to Florida and, and had the, the same type of success. Uh, I still think, him being a Florida Gator, uh, he got more exposure as far as uh, from a, you know, the landscape of, of the entire country kind of watching the Florida Gators. You know, obviously they, they, some of these schools peak and, and they'll do super well. Like uh, when Lamar Jackson played for Louisville, I remember that they were on TV far more than when after he left and they kind of turned into, a, you know, irrelevancy again, that type of thing. But at the same time, I think if you can sign with a bigger school and you're going to be a starter, I think that's that's the, the key move. So, you know, if I was an athlete coming out, I'd rather play for Penn State compared to a, a Temple, for example. I just think I'm going to get more exposure that way. But, uh, yeah, you know, it would be interesting in these markets such as West Virginia where, you know, there's not, not many other schools to rival, you know, the position that, that you're in. So, that, that might be a, a good move, but I, I say just go to the biggest school and, and make sure you're going you're gonna to have playing time because I think you'll be on TV far more often, more likely than not. And I, and I think that the nationwide exposure will be far greater than just the, the local landscape exposure, if that makes sense. Tim Tebow puts asses in the seats wherever he goes besides New York. So I think he would have done quite well in West Virginia, but – that's enough college sports. Uh, we won't bore you with too many more details there. It's, it's sort of fascinating. And uh, like I said earlier, it definitely sort of puts an end to the age old debate of should college athletes get paid. Um, ultimately, I don't think this plan is going to be rolled out until 21, 22 season. So we'll have to wait uh, a couple of months, maybe about a year um, until we sort of see what this plan is going to look like. Fascinating to say the least. And I'm sure it'll be a storyline leading into uh, next year's college football season, but Getting to the Last Dance documentary, um, again, you know, recurring segment here. We're, we're going to talk about episodes seven and eight uh, this evening, Michael Jordan's retirement, uh, Michael Jordan's first retirement, I should say. You know, it took seven episodes to get a sneak peek into why Jordan decided to retire, and I have to say it did not live up to the hype. Uh, it's actually quite sad. I, I think we all know what happened with his father. He unfortunately passed away, and I don't really want to get into that too much, but I do, I do want to pivot it and basically get your take, Aaron, on a superstar, you know, retiring in his prime and um, how much of a cultural cultural shock was it to see MJ take a leave of absence? And, you know, if a guy like LeBron retired after his first rank to play, you know, football or, you know, a, a guy like Mike Trout retires now to, to, to go and try to play, you know, another sport, you know, how, how sort of shocking would it have been today with the social media era to compare sort of MJ's retirement from, from back in the day? Yeah, absolutely, you know, uh, shook the world when, when Michael Jordan retired and then and then went to go play some baseball. Um, I think it would be interesting if somebody were to do that nowadays. Uh, I, I'd actually kind of think that would be super, super cool to see and, and something definitely I'd tune into. You know, there, Russell Wilson a couple of years ago, if you don't, you know, if you remember, he went to the uh, Yankees spring training. You know, it was kind of like a gag thing, but, uh, you know, you never know, you know, somebody might you know, replicate that in a, in a modern day setting. He's still um, on the Yankees. They need all the help they can get. I, 
they need all the help they can get getting over the Astros, I guess. But uh, that type of thing. At least we don't but, cheat. Yeah, that's <laughs> hey, fair point. As much as I don't like the Yankees, at least they didn't get caught in a in a scandal such as that. But yeah, that's besides the point. But uh, regardless, yeah, if that were to happen nowadays, I think that would absolutely blow up the sports the sports world, and especially without having any live sports for for quite a while now. Um, so if that were to happen, you know, within a year or two, that that maybe like let's say LeBron or, or Russell Wilson or somebody like that transitions to a different sport that would be insane but the the interesting thing is, is MJ kind of did it right in the middle of his, of his career if you look at it so um yeah I don't I don't know if that'll ever be done again but definitely super interesting that uh arguably the best the best basketball player to ever live you know took such a strong uh strong move during that time so I I just thought about this LeBron allegedly during the lockout season, I think it was 2011, 2012-ish, around that time frame. I might not be exactly correct on that, but allegedly he was trying to play football and I think practice a little bit in Dallas with the Cowboys or some Cowboys players. If LeBron had ultimately – and Jerry Jones offered him a contract too. I forgot about that. If LeBron had taken his talents to the NFL, would he have been and will he be – or would he have been considered the best tight end of all time? I'm going to, I'm going to definitively say no, uh, like crazy capital, capital N capital O, uh, and an exclamation point. I think at, you know, at certain points he'd probably cramp up, uh, have to remove himself from the game. That, that was one I time. Might, that, <laughs> it was yeah, human down there. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see Tim Duncan cramping up. He's a lot older. There's a point. move. He runs from basket to basket. He doesn't play defense. Dude, he's a, he's a, He's the closest thing to a robot we've ever seen, but uh, Mr. Efficient, as I call him. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't – I mean, I think LeBron could play football. I, it's kind of tough to say that he'd be the best. Uh, I don't even think maybe top five tight end ever, but, um, you know, that's, he might – That's wild. That's a wild. He might, he might be uh, an above-average football player, but who knows, man. He's never played it down in the NFL. I, I think a lot of these guys think they can play NFL football and then – and then you actually put them in there, and I think they'd get their head thrown off their body. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see that that, that would pan out. That's just uh, just because he hasn't played NFL football. I mean, I don't really think that's fair to, to fair to him or fair to anybody that were to transition into that sport. Now, if LeBron said I'm going to go play baseball, and he had tremendous baseball success before, you know, something that like that would pan out for him. But yeah, that I don't think NFL so much. If he, if he had played football in college and stuck with football, he would have made the NFL. I stand by that, but we're not going to talk anymore, LeBron. Uh, a, a lot of people speculate that Jordan retired because of a looming suspension uh, by the NBA for his gambling antics. I think he was just looking for an escape, uh, an escape in the form of baseball. And, and we, we have to get into the baseball here because MJ wasn't half bad. He wasn't half bad at one point in his baseball Playing days in the documentary, they discussed that he was on a 13-game hitting streak at one point in AA, which is pretty fucking impressive for a basketball player and pretty fucking impressive for a guy who took 14 years away from the sport. Uh, interestingly enough, he would have gone to single A, but the AA stadiums had more capacity in their media centers or their media rooms or whatever, something to do with the media. I think it's crazy. It was an absolute touring circus to whatever city, whatever stadium, whatever state he played in. Uh, people followed him throughout the country and uh, – I think, you know, every stop he went to was like the Beatles were coming to town. And you know, do you think there's any credibility when talking about Jordan's retirement that he ultimately got sick and tired of media attention um, and the constant prying into his life um, and that he retired more for general fatigue than anything else? Or do you think it, you know, there was something 
that loomed a little bit larger in his life other than, other than just being tired and sort of dealing with the death of his father. No, I definitely think, uh, I think the, the media, no matter what industry you're in, so if you're an actor, an actress, an athlete, I, I think you get to a point where either you can handle it very well and, and you keep going and, and dismiss it and put it off to the side or, or it starts to really get to you because obviously, you know, if Michael Jordan were to walk into a grocery store just in, in his prime, in his prime and, and during his playing days, it would be an absolute circus and people would be jumping out of bushes to take pictures of him and what have you. So I, I definitely think that played an impact and I don't think he he loved all that. I think that got to him to a certain extent. So yeah, I definitely think the media impact took a toll on him and, and ultimately caused uh, most of that, the reason for that. So we've now talked about eight episodes out of 10 of this documentary I don't think I've heard you say one negative thing about Michael Jordan. That's fine. That, that is completely no, fine. I respect your takes, but I think by the end of this documentary talk, the end of this documentary series, I need you to say at least one negative or one slight about MJ. And I thought it was going to be tonight, but I need to get it out of you at least once. Let me, let me interject. Last week I did kind of, I referred to him as selfish. Uh, you know, you can, you guys can go back. You spun you that though. It. You spun that like you had to be selfish and he had, had to be selfish ultimately win. You, <laughs> you, you talked about the Mamba mentality. I think you, you, it could be perceived as negative for sure. I think you spun that a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I hear, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I definitely think MJ will, you know, I'm not going to say he's a nice guy. I don't think he was, uh, you know, quite friendly to his teammates. I'll say that. But I don't know. I, I got a lot of respect for MJ, and there's not many sure. things that I can point to as far as uh, that I don't like about him. Um, but I think he's definitely ruthless, heartless at, at times, uh, selfish at times. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say he's he's the second coming of Christ. But, you know, I think that there's some things that, you know, I, I don't think he did perfectly. And, and that's that's definitely something I can elaborate on at any point. But, yeah, uh, that's just my take on, on his career, I think. Uh, the last thing to touch on, and, and I didn't want to forget about this, I think he definitely spun the uh, the documentary. So we got to keep in mind that, that Michael Jordan's kind of the, the mastermind behind the whole, the whole documentary. So obviously he's got to make it look, you know, pretty and, and good for himself because if he makes himself out to be, you know, some vicious asshole, then how many people are still going to be MJ fans? So I definitely think at points that, you know, it catered to, to what he wanted it to look like where if Phil Jackson would have made the, the documentary or if Scottie Pippen would have been, you know, in charge of the documentary, it might might totally look differently. But I can't blame him. I mean, millions of people are watching this. So if I were to make a documentary about myself, am I really going to make myself look crappy in any way? Probably not. Uh, you know, I definitely think MJ can't get enough of, of MJ. I think he has the TO disease where he loves himself to a fault. And I, and I don't think, uh, you know, he might not admit that publicly but behind closed doors I guarantee that that he thinks he's the absolute god and, and he walks on water so that's the take I was looking for folks thank you very much um tune in next week for some more takes hopefully against MJ no I'm, I'm just kidding I think uh a, a great career should be showcased um in a documentary I do agree that you know some some of these storylines I think are a little bit fluffed up and it might be sort of a puff piece uh, a Michael Jordan puff piece if you will but um, when the LeBron documentary comes out, and I want to preface this by saying I do like LeBron, but when, when the, the LeBron documentary comes out, how much is it going to cater to LeBron and his career and, and how much of the storyline is going to favor him? I can tell you this right now. 
I will have to be forced into watching a, a LeBron documentary. Like the, they'll literally have to be a gun pointed to my head and say, "You either watch this or you're dying tonight." That's the only way I turn that thing on. It was, you know, with all due respect, that there's after making a disrespectful statement, um, I think LeBron will absolutely make it. You know, even ten times as as more fluffed up as as uh, Michael Jordan's documentary, and and I, that's just to be expected, and especially in the social media age, I think anything's just going to get more and more blown out of proportion and, and people are doing it for likes, clicks and clout, you know, and things like that. So that's just, that all boils down to just looking the best and, and being viewed as, as, you know, a good person and, and really a legend in, in people's eyes. That's how I look at it. I will absolutely be making you watch this LeBron documentary when it ultimately gets released and we will dissect it on this podcast in five or so years when it comes out. But from one goat in Michael Jordan to the other, uh, Sam Darnold in the AFC East. I don't know if you saw this, Aaron, but our good friends at ESPN ranked the quarterbacks in the AFC East. The show Get Up on ESPN that's hosted by Mike Greenberg took the time to rate the quarterbacks from the AFC East. So we'll dissect this a little bit here before we end the show and, and take you into your weekend. But Dan Orlovsky on Get Up, former Detroit Lions quarterback who famously ran um, out of the back of the end zone and didn't know it and caused the safety for his team. Hilarious clip if you want to watch that on YouTube. He ranked the AFC quarterbacks as follows. Number four, Jarrett Stidham from the New England Patriots. Number three, hasn't played a game yet, Tua Tagovailoa, Miami Dolphins. Number two, Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills. And, of course, my quarterback. It's my quarterback. My T.O. impersonation. It was Sam Darnold, number one from the New York Jets. No surprise there. Uh, what say you about these, about this ranking, about these four quarterbacks? I can't say these these four quarterbacks are like instant Hall of Famers. Any any of them, uh, you know, I'll try not to be too harsh on on any of these guys. But uh, yeah, let, I, I'll first start with uh, I'll start with Stidham. Uh, obviously, hasn't hasn't really played a whole whole lot. Uh, you know, I don't really know what to think. He, he might be a product of the system in New England. So if they tend to win games, you know. In close games, I'm not going to think a whole lot of them. I think that's going to be Belichick's defense, you know, carrying them over the top. So I'll, I'll probably sl- slide him into the three spot. Uh, Tua, I'm just not – I'm not huge on Tua. I, I don't think I ever will be unless he shocks the world. Like I said before, uh, dude is a walking emergency room. Uh, he's just made of glass. Uh, you touch him and he gets injured. So uh, I just don't see him really panning out too, too well. Uh, you know, maybe he has a couple of flashes couple of decent years but once again I mean he's he's playing for the Dolphins and when have the Dolphins really had success in the last 20 years uh you know it's hard to even think about uh you know you take Ryan Tannehill and you remove him from the Dolphins goes to the Titans and and makes it to the championship round so I just think the See, Dolphins that's the uh that's the Adam Gase effect current New York Jets head coach by the way that might yeah that might be but uh yeah you got a good point there uh I I gotta say Sam Darnold probably coming in at number two for me personally. He, all right, so he hasn't played a a whole lot. uh, So uh, I think he has flashes of greatness. I think he can throw the deep ball with with really the best of them when when he's accurate and when he's on. Went, you know, but uh, I need to, I definitely need to see more from him this season. You know, maybe, maybe if he, uh, if they finish like nine and seven or, or eight and eight, something like that, I'd be impressed. Uh, that that team kind of needs more help than just the quarterback position, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put all of it on him, and I'm not gonna say that he's an absolute scrub like like Stephen A. would say, but um, yeah, I'm mean, gonna have Carr. him coming in at 
Oh, yeah, Derek Carr. That man was a bona fide scrub. Yeah, I'll give you – I'd rather have Sam Darnold than Derek Carr any day. But uh, I, I got to see Josh Allen coming off the season that he had. Obviously, I think he, he's got to rank number one just, just going into this season. Now, you know, everything can change. Uh, but I, I do kind of like what the Bills are doing. Uh, pretty good defense at times last year. And uh, Josh Allen absolutely took a shit in Dak Prescott's mouth last season. So, mad respect to that. Wow, um, I didn't see that. Yeah, just just those things. Two those quarterbacks, things one cup. Dak Prescott, guy guy wants forty million a year and can't can't build, uh, can't really do much. So yeah, we we, I mean, we also turned down forty million a year from Spotify. So I can I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, it might be the only thing we have in common with uh, Dak Dak Prescott. But uh, yeah, that that's my ranking. Uh, I think yours will look a little bit different than mine, obviously, but uh, I'd still like to hear it there. It's fair. It's 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 fa- it's a fair ranking. Um, I do think that Josh Allen has had a better career to this point. There's no doubt about that. He's had the better team. He's had the better players around him, and he will have better players around him going into next season. With that being said, I have to look at the eye test. I trust these eyes more than I trust anybody else's eyes. And if you look at the tape, Sam Darnold to me not will be number one. Not is going to be number one. Has to be number one right now. I just think. The way he's able to throw on the run so accurately, he can throw the deep ball, like you said. He can get out of the pocket. He can move. He can scramble. Allen can do that as well, but I just think he's so wildly inaccurate, and when his deep ball isn't going and when his deep ball isn't accurate, he's just volatile. And like I said, it's it's a close it's a close race, and I don't disagree with anything you said about Allen and Darnold. Um, I, I would love for Darnold to get more pieces around him as a Jets fan, but but more as a football fan as well. I think the kid has so much untapped potential – He's 22, turning 23 pretty soon. It's, you know, he's going to be the second youngest quarterback uh, in the league going into his third season, which is crazy. He's younger right now than um, Baker Mayfield was when Baker played his first game. So I just think give give him time and, and not say Allen's super old or anything like that. But I think you give him time. And, you know, if, if that offensive line and those receivers start to gel this year, I think Darnold's going to turn some heads and uh, he's going to probably mitigate your words. Uh, I hate to say that, but I think it's probably going to be true. Uh, number four, for sure, I go with Tua there. Like you said, uh, I don't, you know, I'd be surprised if he plays this year. Um, you know, considering no rookie OT, no rookie mini camp, no OTAs, and probably not much of a, a training camp. So he's my number four. Also, like you said, a walking band-aid. Stidham, I want to get your thoughts on Stidham as well. I have him at number three. Allen two, like I said, in number one. But Stidham, I want to go back to him for a second. He got in against the Jets last year uh, because the Patriots were, you know, shit stomping the Jets at one point. And I think he got into the fourth quarter. And I think his first pass he threw uh, was a pick six to Jamal Adams. He didn't look too great to me. I was pretty surprised the Patriots didn't do more at quarterback in the offseason other than, you know, sign Brian Hoyer. And they didn't draft the quarterback. And I was pretty surprised about that, as we talked about a few episodes ago when we analyzed the draft. So do you think Stidham is the guy? Um, I, I, I just think that the media is – feeding right into Bill Belichick's hand right now. I just think they look at him, you know, with the Midas touch and everything he touches turns to gold, which I, you know, fine. If you want to believe that, I think he deserves that credibility after 20 years of being, you know, an outstanding head coach and having outstanding teams and winning, you know, how many, six championships. So I think he deserves the benefit of the the doubt, but nothing from Stidham that I've seen um, would point to him becoming a franchise quarterback. And you can, you know, prove me wrong, but that's just how I feel about Stidham right now. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point in his career, that's that's a hard a hard argue, hard argument to make. Um, yeah, I mean, last season he has no touchdowns, one pick, 
total of 14 yards. I mean, obviously an extremely limited playing time. Kind of like the, the point you touched on where you say Bill Belichick, if he touches it, turns to gold. I, I'm kind of a proponent of that because if you go back and, and look when Tom Brady got uh, – it was either injured or suspended for the first games in yeah, the one he, season. Yeah, when he tore his ACL, Matt Castle came in. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, way to, way to fill me in there. It was I, the research been, department, wasn't me. Just very unselfish of you. They don't. They 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 actually get more credit than I think they deserve, though. But that, that's a Probably. point for another. That's for another day. But um, yeah, no, I I think you know you kind of saw Matt Castle come in and and light it up and and really just destroy it on offense. So uh, and after that, he kind of went to KC and fizzled out pretty quickly. So I don't. Have, I have no doubts that that Stidham can have some type of success now. You know, for him for for me to say he's the next Tom Brady or something like that. That might be a little bit ridiculous, but I think, you know, he'll, they'll, they'll guide, guide him to like maybe a 10 and six record. That's like that type of thing. I, I could definitely see that happening with, with the defense they still have there. I just, uh, Stidham will play similar to maybe like a, a Mark Sanchez, uh, you know, it, when Mark Sanchez was in his quote unquote prime, uh, you know, just kind of a game manager, that type of deal. Uh, you know, try, try not to lose the game that that might be Stidham's ceiling. But we'll see. Uh, you know, he did back up Tom Brady, so I would think he learned a couple things, you know, to, to take notes to. But you he know, learned how to cheat, top, I think. That's a that's a little blow. I don't think that was called for. But it's warranted. Hey, it's keep, keep it moving. It's warranted. Yeah, you're right. I, I'll never forgive Brady for not shaking Nick Foles' hand. That that leaves a sour taste in my mouth. But regardless of that, um, yeah, I, I think he might have learned a thing or two from Brady that. You know, he can maybe apply on the field. Uh, like I said, I think Stidham at this point, I could be totally wrong, but I think he's going to be a game manager, uh, not not a pro bowler by any means. But, uh, yeah, that, that's where I stand on that. If Jared Stidham goes to two consecutive AFC championship games like Mark Sanchez did in his first two seasons, I will hold you personally responsible, and I will never forgive you. Um, but that's the AFC East quarterback rankings. Um I think Aaron and I dissected that pretty well. And ultimately, I think we're both in agreement. Sam Darnold's going to the Hall of Fame. So uh, check back next week for some more uh, NFL takes. You're not sure the topic yet, but we'll definitely drop some more NFL takes and some more NFL clips. But Aaron, great show this evening. Why don't you take us home? Yep, good show, good show. Way to wrap it up, Dan. And, uh, you know, hopefully you're right about Sam Darnold. But uh, I don't see it yet. But, hey, maybe uh, maybe you got 2020 vision and mine is still much 2020 anymore as I get progressively older uh so yeah you might be right about that all right listeners thank you so much you can find us on Spotify Apple Podcasts or wherever you may enjoy and consume your podcast enjoy the weekend we'll be back at you with two shows next week take us home